Thank you, brother. Ready to rock? Awkward hug? Good. Ready? All right. All right. There we go. All right. We did it. Emmaus, good morning. How are you? Good. I am grateful to be here. It's been a real privilege to lead this community alongside Nate and Angela and Anglin and everyone else who helps lead us and make these gatherings happen. So thank you so much. And may I begin with a benediction by saying, may you leave here this morning with more hope than before you arrived. May you leave this place with an increased hope than this present moment right now. I love preaching. I love it. I love everything about it. I love the study. I love the preparation. I love the learning. I love this right now and everything about it. But I'll tell you, the most difficult, the most challenging audience to preach to is third graders and below. <laughs> third graders and below, because you have to keep, keep everything concrete. can't be anything abstract. If you normally would say it in 12 words or in 30 words, you need to say it in six words to them for them to get it. Because if you don't, at any moment, the whole thing could just unravel. The whole thing. And you have to deal with people throughout the entire time, just their hands raised in the air, just looking at you. And then finally, just to avoid the awkwardness, you go, yes. And then they go, um, 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 I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> or they have some story and all of a sudden we're talking about, oh, I have a pet too and I got a fish and my grandma. And the, then all of a sudden you're like, what were we talking about, right? There was one time I was, I was at a kid's camp. I was the guest speaker at a kid's camp and it was like third grade down to kindergarten. And one of the afternoons that we're talking about the unbelievable father and his two sons is what I call it. But you might know it as the prodigal son, Luke 15. And if you're familiar with the story, you know he's there with the pigs and he, verse 17, when he came to his senses, he decided to return home. And so for a second, I got kind of metaphorical, and I said, some of us in the room need to go home. And there was a kid in the back who was like, I don't want to go home. I was like, oh, I did it. You can't. You got to stay glued in right there where you're at. Well, I found myself recently talking to a group of elementary school students. Part of the work that I do throughout the week is not only um, lead a private practice as a therapist, but usually within kind of banker's hours, I help lead an organization that places therapists in the schools to help kindergartners through college students across the state of California because our kids need support, okay? So we work alongside people there at the school um, to help them during those tough times. And so part of that looks like leading kind of trainings or, or um, just doing some talks for some students. And so I was um, in the Northern California area and I was delivering um, a talk that crescendoed with this final point. I shared a few stories with them that all kind of aimed towards this message that you are the most valuable thing on earth, which is a, just the gospel message in itself without actually having to have a hymnal or a Bible with me. But there I was, because in stories especially connect us like nothing else. Even at a neurological level, when a story begins to be told, all of a sudden, um, things begin to happening. Our, our limbic system is ignited. We have our um, auditory cortex, our motor cortex, our amygdala. Everything is firing. And this is what we mean at the neurological level when we're on the edge of our seat, right? It connects us. 
it builds us together, it gives meaning to our lives. And so there I was telling stories and it crescendos as you are the most valuable thing on earth. People are the most irreplaceable, non-renewable, precious, and precious not like kittens precious, but like kittens like rare and special, right? Precious resource that we have on earth. There's a small group of elementary school students in front of me. I'm sitting at one of those chairs where I'm like basically eating my knees this entire time, right? And I'm talking to them. And there's this little girl, we'll call her Rachel. She's sitting right here, right? Actually, she's right here, right next to me. And she raises her hand. And she says, if people are the most valuable thing on earth, then how come they're the most dangerous? And the kids didn't really know what she said or what it really meant, rather. But the handful of adults in the room knew exactly where she was coming from. If people are the most valuable thing on earth, then how come they're also the most dangerous? As one of those questions, especially as like a presenter or as a facilitator or something like this, I did not have a response that was anywhere near adequate as a pain in her question. And so I said, Rachel, sometimes I wonder the same thing. And we tried to move forward, but it's never left my memory. If it's like this, then why does this happen? Why, is, why are things in such a mess? Why is there so much chaos? Why is this like this, and this really connects to the first request of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. Remember, our Father who art in heaven. Okay, hold on. We've already passed up the most important word of that prayer, by the way, which is our. Because Jesus didn't say my Father in front of everyone. He said our. So now all of a sudden we're brother and sister with Jesus in that moment. That's for another Sunday. In any event, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next? In King James Version, it goes, thy kingdom come. The first request of Jesus, thy kingdom come. And what that means for us is, Father, come fix this mess. Would your kingdom arrive in its fullness so you can set everything right again? Fix this, repair this, heal this. Make it the way you intended for it to be. Thy kingdom come. Scripture tells us that when Jesus arrives in the fullness of his kingdom, things are going to be a lot better. Everything that's broken will be mended. This includes um, economic systems, social structures, marriages, workplace habits, our own uh, vices. Everything will be set right again. Thy kingdom come. And this is the cry, really, of all of us, of, of little Rachel, who, hey, if this is supposed to be such a great place, then, then why, why do these bad things happen? And so we join with her and say, like, God, would you fix this? Like, things are out of hand. And so for this morning, the, the words we, we say to God, the, the last kind of episode of this series is restore all things, exclamation point. Fix this, would you please, God? Because we're trying our best down here. We're trying our best. We really are. 
but we need your help to come fix this. So we stand with little Rachel, we stand with Jesus, and we stand together and say, would you please just make everything right again, repair this. And for those in the room right now that's already kind of like, oh, it's going to be one of those kind of Sundays, just, I offer this. This is my universal life advice, which I'll be 40 in like six months, so I feel like I can, I'm half a license to give that, right? Okay, I've been a father for 11 years, so I have just a little bit of credibility, but not much, because there's so much that I can learn from so many in the room, okay? But this is it. It won't always be this way. So in real time, I offer to you this morning as we kind of get started, if there's some pain, if there's some, some suffering, if there's some chaos, if there's a mess in your life right now and you're here with us, and as we talk about a, a psalm that says, God, we want you to fix this, restore this, put this back together again, just know, friends, it won't always be this way. I think about that when, when uh, maybe when you also were a young parent and it's 2.30 in the morning, and it's the third time that you've been up. Maybe for some of you, this was like, this was last night, man. <laughs> okay? It won't always be this way. Both in the good way, like, oh, man, that brings such relief. But also, but also, it won't always be this way. There'll be much bigger, much more deeper kind of things that maybe cause you some pain. So be present in it. The same thing for us. It won't always be this way as a way to provide hope, but also as a way to maybe to catch the joy, which will be something we speak on later, catch the joy and, and the great moments of life here and now. It won't always be this way, so let's, let's really lean in. If you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 126. Um, if you don't have a Bible or a device that has that app, that's okay. Um, we will have it up here on the screen. Psalms 126. It's actually pretty cool. It comes in this uh, kind of playlist, is what I'll call it. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 is kind of like a biblical playlist, okay? Um, it's called the Songs of Ascent. That's what they're referred to. These 15 psalms that scholars of Scripture would tell us that these were songs that were sang on their journey. Think of like a road trip mixtape, okay? Some of you are like, I didn't know what you meant by playlist, but I get tape, okay? Mix CD, there we go. Think of that. This is what these psalms are. And oftentimes, the people of God would sing these and recite these on the way to Jerusalem as they go there to travel to celebrate in some of the religious festivals. So these were, these were songs that they were very familiar with that they would say over and over, and as we were ascending up to Jerusalem, as it was a pretty high point in that particular place in the world. So the songs of ascent, like ascending, right? Ascending up. So they would sing these. So Psalm 20, 120 to 134 and 126 falls right in there. This is one of our songs of ascent. And we'll read it together in its entirety this morning. Psalms 126, here we go. You ready? Here we go. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. When's the last time you laughed like really, really, really hard? That's a rhetorical, so don't feel like. 
But think about that. When is the last time you laughed really, really? I mean, one of those laughters where you aren't even hearing anything coming out. It's just... <laughs> and you're, the other person is just kind of like, are you okay? <laughs> right? One of those kinds of... When was the last time that... It could have been at a movie. It could have been at a story. When was the last time that happened? But step into that moment. It could have been, you know, this past week. It could have been a long time ago, which I would offer. Maybe there's something going on there. When was the last time your mouths were filled with laughter? This is a dream that the psalmist is describing. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. Songs that make you feel joy and happiness, jubilation, excitement, delight. Then it was said among the nations, this is what happens in the dream, the Lord has done great things for them. So other people took notice, said their, their God, something's been done by their God. Things are going really, really well for them, seemingly, seemingly. Verse 3, it kind of switches to present tense. The psalmist says, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. So it switches from the dream automatically. It's like, this has happened. Like, let's not forget. He has done some great things. He has filled our mouths with laughter. He has given our tongue songs of joy. This has happened. We've gone through this. So we, he calls us to remember, which is a very popular Old Testament word. Remember, remember, remember. Sometimes we remember the things that God has done, and that's what carries us through the tough times right now. Remember what he's taken us through. Scholars debate on when, like when in history, what was the time and place in history where this particular psalm was written? And many of them say it was around the time that they were in captivity. There was a period of 70 years where the people of God were um, in, enslaved or they were, someone else had rule over them. Okay, so they say it was either right then that it had it, or maybe directly afterwards. Like, look, he's done this. He's delivered us from the enemy. He has done this. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. We're going to hang out with this verse for a little bit. Restore. Restoration ha has an implication that it used to be a different way. Like, take it back how it used to be, right? Not make this, not necessarily make this better or change this into something it's never been, but restoration puts it as the way it used to be. Remember, before Genesis 3, when the, the, our story kind of takes a drastic turn, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 come before that. It's Bible math, right? Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, a lot of times for us as Christians, we begin the story in Genesis 3. We sinned, we messed up, and now we're just forever going to have to just deal with this. No, 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 no. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 comes before that. That is where we're going to head back towards in a figurative and a spiritual sense. The way it used to be where there was no division between Yahweh, the living God, and his beloved. He is seeking to restore that, and Jesus is like the final piece of that rescue mission for us. Through Jesus, it is going to be restored to that Genesis 1, Genesis 2, where we still had to work, but the, the crops like watered themselves. 
There was like water that came up from the ground, and it was rains, and mangoes were the size of your head in a good way. Okay? Restoration has a connotation that it used to be a certain way that we're heading back there. So restore our fortunes, O Lord. Some translations say, return us, return our captivity, like make it to where it was before that. Do this. And it says, like what? We, put, we hear a uh, like is a, is a simile, right? Like or as is a simile. English class, we good? I mean, like, I don't start till next week, so we're not talking school stuff, okay? Re- restore, <laughs> what do we have? Like the streams and the Negev. And I know you're all familiar with Negev, so it's all going to be review, but <laughs> Negev's in the southernmost part of Israel, below Judea and, J- and Jerusalem, okay? And it would be no different than the writer using a term that we would know today, right? If we said, like, a summer day in the middle of August in Sacramento, we'd all know, oh, that's really hot, right? So for us right now, we're kind of like, I, streams, a weird word, I don't know. So we're going to add a little bit of color to it so we know, like, oh, this is what the psalmist is trying to tell us. There's a, a region um, in the southernmost part of Israel where it was set between two mountains, and there's a, a riverbed in between there, Right? And much of the year, it is dried out. And you can see that water and moving water actually used to be there. So there was evidence that something's happened there before. And out of nowhere, oftentimes in a matter of hours, there's what's called, if you've lived anywhere else besides Northern California, flash floods, thunderstorms. They don't exist too much in Northern California. But you head to any other place in the country, and I know I'm from Kentucky. I think I've told you this. Went into the grocery store, everything looked fine. Came back out, windows were down, that was a mistake. Because it was storming like crazy, 20 minutes later. So think that same kind of thing, but all of a sudden there's like a torrential downpour at certain parts of the season, and it is flooded with water, so much so that even current day, it'll bust through bridges, it'll break them. So like the streams in Negev, where it is plentiful, it is overflowing, it is flourishing, restore us like that, God. Do it like that, where it is sudden. where it is intense, where it is out of nowhere. And this has images of when Jesus says, when I come back, it'll be like a thief in the night without expectation. There'll be no warning. It's just going to happen. And I always heard that, like, is Jesus going to rob our house? Like, what does that mean? What is he saying? No, he's saying just uh, there's going to be no warning. And the same thing, would you restore us? Would, would you make it the way it used to be just out of nowhere, God? Would you, would you do this? And sometimes, for those of us in the room, we have those stories where it was like, I don't really know how it happened. All of a sudden, we found ourselves within the perfect situation that made everything better. So the psalmist says, would you turn it back like that? And really quickly, as we continue to hang out in this passage, I want to be very careful and also very honest to say that I don't think it lines up with Scripture that anyone who's going through a tough time, that with enough prayer, all of a sudden think you're going to be just absolutely abundantly overflowing with riches and in everything. I don't think that's necessarily scriptural. So this isn't a message of keep praying because all of a sudden once you guys are all going to have it made. That's not real life. That's not what we find in the kingdom. In fact, actually there are many times where even in the face of a man or woman's faithfulness throughout Scripture, things still might end not how they wanted it to be. 
And I think the reason why is restoration looks a lot different to God than it does to us. It happens in a very unassuming and unrecognizable way in the same way Jesus came to this earth. The Pharisees were looking for God and then Jesus showed up. They wanted a Messiah and a carpenter's son from Nazareth arrived. So restoration may not necessarily look like, oh, he's saying all of a sudden things are all going to be better. Maybe. That's also not to say that it couldn't happen that way. It could, because nothing's impossible for God. But I think we find throughout Scripture, if God had his way, think, the, the, the things that, that we ache for, he aches for as well. So restoration can look maybe a lot different than what we had in mind. Restoration for a tough relationship for me didn't happen until that person had already left this earth. And maybe what I wanted was an in real time, both of us still living kind of restoration. That would have been ideal. But God has different plans. God has a different design. He has a different way of going about things. And I'm so glad. So it may be a little bit different than what we're thinking. In the same way that it's sudden and out of nowhere, it may be a little bit different. But restoration will happen. Jesus tells us, my father is always at work. He's always doing something. He's always making things new. He just always is. So where can we catch glimpses of that this morning? Let's continue on in verse 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Now we're going future tense. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. By a show of hands, who remembers the hymn, Bringing in the Sheaves? Remember that? Yeah, me too. Me too. Bring it, let's all sing it. You ready? <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Because <laughs> I don't want to have to sing it. I just know it's bringing it. That, that sounds like happy birthday or something. I don't know. Wrong melody line. Those who go out in tears and mourning and weeping will come back with sheaves of grain. Overflowing. I think Van Gogh had a, had a painting of sheaves. Think about that. Just tall Sheaves. I don't have much agricultural knowledge, so I just got to leave it at that. It's the only term I'm going to keep saying over and over. <laughs> okay? With sheaves will come back. This will happen. Eugene Peterson, I think it's interesting to note, he says, translates verse 6 as this, so those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. Friends, those those of you in this room who maybe came in with heavy hearts, my prayer is that you would leave with a feeling of laughter and of delight and of hope, with armloads of blessing. There's many pictures and statues of Jesus, and maybe you've seen them. A lot of times he looked like he won a beauty pageant with the sash across him. He has long, perfect hair, like he's a Pantene hair commercial. Um, but this is one of my favorites. 
Maybe you've seen this. It's usually referred to as like the laughing Jesus or the laughing Christ. And when I arrived at Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, as I told you about, a place I deeply loved, there was a statue or a bust just like from the neck up of Jesus in one of their prayer chapels that is always open. And there's this lone light over it that shines down on it. And it's kind of scary when you first see it, I'm going to be honest. Then you look closer and you can see it's Jesus belly laughing. And for a while, people didn't know who sketched it. And then, you know, someone made a lot of money from getting it prints all around the world. But actually, it's from a uh, minister in Canada. His name is Willis Wheatley. And he sketched it. And it actually, he didn't title it Laughing Jesus or Laughing Christ. He titled it Jesus Christ Liberator. One that liberates one that sets free, one that restores, one that sets it right again. Can we go back to it, please? One of the thoughts that goes through my head as I look, and I want to ask Jesus, like, why are you laughing? Because there's plenty of things that are not to be laughed at in our lives, in our own personal lives, and in our own community, in our own state, and around the world, right? So I look like, why are you laughing? And I'm reminded by something I heard um, First off, the passage of Scripture, I wonder if he's thinking, because nothing's impossible for my father. Because nothing's impossible. And secondly, I heard a theologian say, um, imagine Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. Lazarus face-to-face with the Roman Caesar at the time uh, when he was alive. His name was Caligula, which sounds like something you get when you have the flu. All right face-to-face with Caligula, and he says, if you don't stop proclaiming Jesus, I'm going to kill you. And he says, and Lazarus just doubles over in laughter. It's like, oh, oh, is that what you're going to do? Because I've already done that. <laughs> that moment right there, that moment right there, where it's just like, oh, yeah, God did that. That moment right there. There's a certain joy that the psalmist writes about on what's going to happen and what the, God's dream for us is and what he, what he stirs our imagination to think and to believe. And God is going to fix this mess. He is going to make it right again. It may be in, in your lifetime, and it may not. But joy is going to be restored. And to be clear, we, we can move forward. To be clear, um, joy is not the avoidance of sadness and pain. It's the freedom from it. 
It's knowing that there's pain. It's knowing that there's suffering. It's knowing that things are tough. It's knowing that there are dry seasons in life. It's knowing that sometimes we're crying out to God, would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? And maybe God doesn't. And in the midst of that, still knowing there's a joy that I have because there's going to be a day, one glad morning. Remember that hymn? Or some glad morning when this life is over. At some point, restoration is going to happen. And there's a joy that we can take hold in that. There's a joy that we can cling to that. And I say this not as someone who's arrived that can do this in all situations, because like you, I'm a human being, and I get disappointed, and I get upset, and I get sad, and I cry, and I get angry. But I want to cling to this passage and, and to what this psalmist writes, that this is going to happen, that there will be a time we will return with songs of joy, with laughter filling our mouths, belly laughter, can you breathe okay kind of laughter, where that's going to happen, where we will be belly laughing with Jesus because he will restore all things through his son and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, it is going to happen. This is the promise that I cling to and the invitation for you to jump on with me, to know that when we say, God, fix this mess, that he listens to us and he says, my son, my daughter, I am and I will. I am and I will. That he is doing that. And so maybe the prayer is, God, how can we join you in this? How can we help? How can we do this together as co-restorers with you? Right? How can we do this? As a community, as individuals, as a family, how can we join with you? How can we help this joy burst forth in all these broken places in our lives? How can we do this? As we close, I want to share a quote from William Faulkner, the writer some of you might be familiar with, and he has a line that he says about this playlist, if you will, the Songs of Ascent, Psalm 120 to 134. He comments, they're not monuments, but footprints. So I think like they're not altars, they're footprints. A monument only says, at least I got this far. Her footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again, when I kept moving forward. This is when that happened, I remember now. This is when I kept moving. So your invitation this morning, Emmaus, is to keep putting one foot in front of the other. comma, with others, with others, because this should not be done alone. Jesus never sends out someone by one, He's at least by twos, right? It should be done with someone else. It should be done in community to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Funny, that's what was happening when these songs were being sung, ascending to Jerusalem as they were heading up to encounter God before Jesus, when they had to essentially go to a place, now we can continue to put one foot in front of the other with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, with Jesus here and present with us, one foot in front of the other with others. And say, God, fix this. Would you fix this? Would you make it right again? 
Maybe this morning for you, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. God, I've seen you do some things. I've really seen you do some things lately, and I just need to, I need to remember that. I need to be reminded that you have done some things, and I've forgotten, and I've gotten real ungrateful and just a real grump. But you have done these things. I'm not calling anyone here a grump, so don't hear it like that, okay? But friends, he is restoring, and he will restore as we continue to walk forward, let's do this together. Would you pray with me? Abba, Father, we belong to you. And you delight to call us your sons and daughters. We join with the prayer of Jesus as we say, would you set everything right again, God? Would you restore this? Would you put this back together again? Would you take the broken coffee cup of our lives and put it back together again for us individually, for our marriages, for our relationships, for our finances? for our physical health, for our emotional health, for our societal health, and everything in between, God. You don't need our permission, but by faith, we give you absolute full control and permission, as if you didn't already have it already, to say, fix this how you see it best fit, God. Give us the courage to ask that, because that's a scary request. But help us to get out of the way. Help us to remember the times when you have in the past, when you have restored. We join with the psalmist this morning, God. As we pray for our mouths to be filled with laughter and our tongues to sing song of joy. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.